Good morning, everyone. I would like to tell you a story. It's a story about a cloud. There's a young cloud. A young cloud who loved to float freely in the sky. The wide open blue sky was such a wonderful place to be. And for a young cloud, what better thing to do as a cloud than to float free. Float freely here and there and feel the edges of the wind and the changes in the temperature and move hither and thither and meet other clouds sometimes too and mingle and tell each other stories. And let me tell you something. It's actually a favorite activity of clouds to gather together and tell stories to each other. Clouds, they gather, and when they tell their stories, they do it as a preparation. They're getting ready for something. When they gather together and they start to share with each other their inspirations for the things, the marvelous things they'd love to do, and they begin to feel deep in their hearts a call a call towards something great and powerful, transformation, a great transformation. And all clouds know this feeling. They feel deep in their hearts this pull towards something wonderful, but they don't necessarily know what it is. And so the young cloud, when he's floating freely about the sky, he felt so lovely feeling the sunshine on his back and the beautiful view down below. But when the clouds would swirl together and gather, the winds would blow and the temperatures would press. And it would feel that pull and the other clouds and their stories growing strong. And you know what that sounds like to us down on the earth? Thunder. Yeah. When they feel that thunderous feeling coming together, that young cloud would get a little bit afraid. He didn't feel like he really wanted to go towards a great transformation towards a great change. He liked to float freely in the sky. And so he would slip away off the edges of the gathering and find a beautiful stretch of blue sky to float in. Yeah. You know, children who grow up by the sea, they know how to, many of them, learn to, uh, to ride on the waves. So they go out on their surfboards or just swimming and they learn how to feel the edges of the water and so they don't just sink under the water but they can find a way off the edge of the water. Clouds are like that too. When they feel the wind, they don't just have to be blown around by the wind, they can play on the wind and they can catch an edge and that's what the young cloud would do. He'd find an edge of the wind and he would 
float in a different direction from the gathering. Maybe children of the mountains, maybe you know this in the form of skiing. Instead of just tumbling down the ski slope, you know how to catch an edge and to have fun riding on the edge of the snow. Yeah. Well, time went by, and our young cloud, he grew. Fancy that. Young cloud growing. Well, he grew. He grew larger, and he grew deeper. He grew bigger and more full. And he took up more space in the sky. Hmm. But he still loved to slip away from the gathering of clouds and the great transformation. He still loved to slip away from that and find his own space in the blue sky. And gradually, the other clouds, they noticed that he didn't like to come to the gatherings, and so they avoided him. And pretty soon, he found that he was a, a wonderful large cloud out in the sky, but pretty much alone, and he could just float around. And, and the gatherings of storms and thunder, they were happening elsewhere. Well, one day, he was floating over the plains, looking down at the beautiful earth below, and he saw a circle, a circle of people, a circle of people moving slowly around in that circle, a circle of people with outstretched arms, and he heard those people singing and chanting. It was a rain dance. And they were calling in their distress up to the clouds. And he was floating above, and he thought, hmm, what is that down there? And he listened to the song of the rain dance. And he heard the gentle thump of their feet on the surface of the earth, and the drumbeat, and the sound in their voice, the distress in their voice. And he moved closer, and he felt a pull deep in his heart to come closer and closer and closer. The sound of the song of the rain dance moved deep into the heart of the cloud and stirred him. But he didn't understand it. He didn't know why. So he stayed aloof up in the sky, watching, yet with that stirring inside. He felt pulled to know what they, were, what they really wanted, what they really needed, but he didn't know what to do. And so he reached out to his edges to catch a young, fresh cloud who had just risen up, just taken shape in the sky, and ask, do you know what they're singing about? What is that song I'm hearing from those people in the plains? And this baby fresh cloud said, Oh, that song? I've just come from there. You see how thin and wispy I am? There's not much water down below. That song is a rain song, a rain dance. Those people are calling out for the help of the clouds and the sky, of all the elements, to bring them rain and water because they, they don't have enough. They're in a drought and they can't grow their crops and they're very frightened. They're frightened for their little ones who don't have food to eat. And our cloud friend, he listened to that and he looked again and he listened longer to the song of the rain dance. And he looked carefully. He could see the distress in the eyes of the mothers as they looked at their children. And he felt that stirring in his heart move deeper and deeper in. And he thought, really? Is this pulling for me? Are they calling to me? Could it be that I am important like that? That I have a role to play? 
And he had this realization come to him as he listened to the rain song, to the rain dance, feeling it deep in his heart, this realization that maybe he had a part to play. Maybe what he was doing up in the sky was important. And he felt a little sad for these people without the rain that they needed. And he felt inspired from deep within him, this pull to go down to the plain, to hold them, to help them, to get to know them, to become them. And as this stirring grew in his heart, he felt a cry inside and he let it out a great roll of thunder. And it moved out across the sky. And the people hopefully smiled down below. And the winds began to swirl. And the temperatures began to press. And the other clouds heard in the distance, our cloud, they heard our cloud, call out with his thunder roll. And they came running and racing across the wind currents on the sky. And they broke open in a beautiful rain, a healing rain. Mm. That's the end of my story. Please be remember, wherever you are and whatever you're doing, it's important. You play a role. Everything we do has an effect in the world. And it's, it's, it's wonderful to be aware of that. Every moment that we have happiness in our hearts, it's happiness that comes to the world. Every moment we are lonely and scared in our hearts, it's loneliness and fear in the world. We are a part of something marvelous and wonderful, just like the cloud. It was a part of this wonderful event of the transformation of water into cloud, into rain, into life, into us. Yeah. He just didn't realize it early. But it's never too late. You can always make a step on the path of transformation. So our young friends, when you hear the sound of the small bell, I think you know what to do. Turn to face your, the you that's in the me. Thank you, dear friends, for practicing with us. Have a lovely rest of your morning. We'll see you soon.
Dear friends, we hear over and over again in our practice that call, uh, that call that lets us know that every moment of our lives is a precious opportunity, that every moment uh, we are both receiving the gifts and the fruits of the world and enjoying them, hopefully, like that blue sky for the cloud. But we are also giving. We are also giving. And uh, that's something I think that eludes us a lot in our modern life. Because we focus a lot on the receiving and looking out for ourselves. And uh, uh, even sometimes we work hard to look out for others so that we feel good, <laughs> right? You know, in that, that kind of a looking out for ourselves too. Uh, but there is a gift given in every moment, and that means there's a giver and a receiver. And when you look deeply, you see that all three are deeply connected, all three are one. This in Buddhism is called the emptiness of transmission, the emptiness of giving. Uh, giving, receiving, and the gift given and received are all together one. And so like the cloud in the sky who takes the freedom and the liberty of the open sky, right? Uh, uh, in that story uh, uh, is actually in that moment, although it doesn't appear that they're doing anything, is doing something. And there's a, a non-rain happening, right? Rain is not happening because of the cloud is avoiding its call towards its transformation, right? Um, please don't try to make sense of this scientifically. It's not a scientific story. Uh, it's a, an image for our spiritual practice and understanding. And uh, the call is there for the cloud. It's, its role, in a sense, its gift given, its gift to give is the rain in this story. But it doesn't give that gift. It takes its own space, its own way. It's a little afraid of that transformation. It has a hard time opening its heart to the, the deep calling inside and instead looks for something else. And that's us in our, in our lives a lot. And um, we need to be aware that even, even though it appears as though we may be not doing much or we may live a quiet, simple life removed from things, we are still very much a part of things. And every action that we do inside our hearts and out, outwardly with our bodies has an impact on the whole world. And, and in a way, that's so, such a wonderful realization because we are so deeply connected and how fulfilling that can be. And on the other hand, it's a little overwhelming <laughs> because we may feel that we have a responsibility to some of the great stories of suffering in the world around us. Many of our modern ways, our customs, our norms in our society, in modern life, they are... Um, built up and structured and formed the shape of our society, you know, largely is formed around this uh, looking for ease and comfort and, and looking for that clear blue open sky where we can float freely and 
right? And not, not have to be so connected. And it's pretty easy to see in modern society. Um, and the fifth mindfulness training approaches this in its language, asking us to please strive not to cover up suffering inside of us in distraction or consumption in any way. Or, and you know, the cloud, even though it doesn't appear to be doing anything or consuming very much, is consuming quite a bit of open space in the sky, right? <laughs> and there's, there's a, a part of us which is always occupying a space in the world, right? again. Many of these uh, customs that we have for entertainment, for staying busy, for um, sense pleasures and such in our society, um, it's not that they're bad, but they do have their effects. Right? Everything is constantly in this exchange, giving and receiving. And, and there's a, always a cause and an effect there happening. Um, when, when we started the retreat, we spoke about this in the light of affliction, uh, klesha, affliction, if you remember that, and that's where we experience the suffering as if it's happening to us. And another way of looking at the, the experience of suffering and difficulty is, there's another word here, I'll write it down, which is ashrava. And I hope somebody took a picture of this. <laughs> okay. Let's see Michael if you'd like a picture of what was on the board. <laughs> Ashrava. Uh, we can translate as leak. <laughs> leak. So it's a leak of energy. It's where uh, we are. We lose. We lose the the juice that really keeps us going. Um, and uh, I know this in my life through uh, many small things that I do um, here and there that I notice that. I have uh, less presence, less brightness, less energy to, to meet whatever is in front of me because I have, in one way or another, ingested, consumed something. And it may, it may literally be a food or a drink. It may be, actually, you think about when I was contracting a lot, I got into the habit of drinking coffee. And I've never quite completely left that behind, but you need to have so much energy and enough brightness to handle very heavy, difficult things, and also some heavy relationships usually, in the, um, that, that uh, it, many people in these kind of situations, and many in other professions as well, you, you're going to brighten your mind, you're going to take in something which gives you a little more juice, like some caffeine, right? so you drink that coffee. I know some guys who would drink four, six, eight cups of coffee between the 6 a.m. when they'd be going out to the job until well after lunchtime, and they wouldn't eat that entire time. They'd just be jacked up on caffeine, and that's how they ran. Yeah, the, the sugar, the dairy, the caffeine, right? <laughs> and you run like that for a long time. And then in the afternoon, oh, 
you, you fall, you collapse, and it's a really hard place to be. And so you look for some other way to pick yourself up, right? So even though you might elevate your energy with something like caffeine, the drop afterwards, you feel it. That's a leak. It's a, and to process that substance in your body, it takes quite a bit of energy. Ask any uh, 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 holistic doctor, probably most doctors would tell you, your adrenals are suffering if you drink a lot of caffeine. They're having a hard time because they can't process that uh, that quickly. You put in more than you can process. It just That's an example of something taking energy out. And that's a substance we take into our body. And, and, and then afterwards, even though for a short time we seem to have more energy, we actually have net a loss. Right? And the same is true with certain sufferings that we are exposed to and the way that we conduct certain relationships where we just lose energy. Uh, we expend energy. Uh, and it's, it doesn't help us in our deep aspiration on the path. It doesn't help us to stay in tune with that call inside, which, which knows where to go and how to transform and what the, what the true home of that moment is for us. Mm. That's ashrava, leak. Mm. Mindful consumption has a, an, an, an outer dimension to it in terms of the the, the way we manage and conduct our life, taking in and offering back, and, and outwardly with the middle way as a guide in mindful consumption, we are thinking along the lines of balance, right? moderation, compromise. Right? These are words we could use to describe how, how we navigate our life, looking for Outwardly, you know, in terms of like foods and work and relationships, and we're looking for that for balance and for for compromise or for um, equanimity. Equanimity. Mm. And and much of our practice is about. Uh, restructuring the way that we live our lives outwardly, right? Outwardly to reflect what is going on inside of us and our higher aspirations. The beautiful thing about this practice is that inwardly, the middle way, and specifically the middle way in terms of not being caught in extremes, not falling into dualism, but looking with eyes of interbeing, right? it actually undercuts the very basis for extremes. Like when you really dwell with interbeing, there isn't a need for right or for wrong. Right? There, isn't, there isn't really a clear beginning or an end. Right? So you undercut the very basis for the extreme to pull you anyway. It's not there. We worked with that yesterday. And it also transforms the experience of happiness. Right? Because before we look deeply and before we bring non-discrimination and interbeing into our lives, we're looking outwardly through this moderation and this compromise and this balance. Right? We're looking outwardly still for our happiness. But when you can turn inwardly through the practice of the middle way, through 
mindful consumption of your thoughts and your feelings through through cultivating deep looking and insight inside and and building that base of an experience of interbeing and that you are a part of life, happiness changes. Happiness is not about any kind of sense pleasure or ease or fulfillment outwardly. Happiness is a, simply arises out of the experience, a deep contentment and fulfillment and being a part of life. And when you're really happy, you don't need very much. And you see here the deep connection between the second mindfulness training, which is about this generosity in our, in our energy, which is to give it, to give it without leaking it too much, to give it, to create the energy, to give it to this cultivation of our spiritual life and our happiness, our true happiness. When we have that true happiness, what we need outwardly in the world to consume or to produce or to do is very different before we know that happiness. Mm. Deep connection between the second and the fifth mindfulness training. The neediness and the lack in me Right, will manifest as a need to get something, to find something, usually outside of myself, and if not even outside of myself, somehow to restructure what's going on inside. Right? But the practice of deep looking and liberating insight of interbeing changes that. So happiness arises simply out of being alive. The wonders of life are everywhere. You can touch them, and you are a part. You are connected. That cloud, when they when it turns to rain, right? He's not only just becoming rain, he's literally transforming into the bodies of millions of living beings, right? That's the insight of interbeing for us. Mm. So happiness, our true happiness, is a ground for mindful consumption. And we can take a look at the little things in our life, like what do we buy at the, I say little, it's actually very important, but the smaller things, <laughs> uh, structurally speaking, smaller things in our life, like what we buy at the store for the you know, food choices we make for our diet, or which films we're going to go, right? And we can practice mindful consumption on that level, but we can also take a deep look at the very structure of our lifestyle and society. We can begin to wonder, right? about the direction that we, we are going. We're always inside of some sort of a view with our activity. That's the Eightfold Path, remember. View is producing our thinking, communication, and action in the world. It's the ground for it all. We're always inside some kind of a view, and we may have a view that says something like, I have to have a significant other Right, in order for my happiness in my life to be fulfilled, to be true. But that's a load of baloney. It's so not true. Uh, so, we are so deeply connected to all living beings already. Right? We don't have to have something else in order for that happiness to be there. It's there, we just aren't looking at it. We aren't opening our hearts to feel it. That's it might be a big view that you have. And so you conduct much of your life looking for that right relationship, that perfect fit. And you suffer a lot of the ups and downs of all of that, the ins and outs of all of that. Yeah. And you already have the most beautiful relationship you could possibly have. 
Just go inside and you'll find the whole cosmos there. It's far more fulfilling than someone to share your physical space with in a certain way and according to a certain image that you have, which probably isn't what's going to happen if you start to get it. Some of us have views like about uh, work and career and the, the safety of a financial net that we want to cast about ourselves for the future of ourselves and our children. Or maybe even we have views that it's important that we have a, leave our mark on the world and there's a legacy that comes after us. And, and there's nothing wrong with those things. But they're not really tied to your deep, true happiness. Um, if you're fortunate enough to be truly happy, you can play with those things. You can dance and make art with those sorts of things, with that, uh, that sort of affluence and wealth. But also, if you're truly happy, you're going to uh, be deeply aware uh, that your happiness and the happiness of others are intertwined quite profoundly and that your suffering and the suffering of others is like that too. And uh, you will likely turn your energy of working in the world instead of being about amassing security and wealth for yourself and your kin to the well-being of many or all. Mm. These are sort of the constructs that are built into our society. There are many of them. Take a look at them. Take a look at them with the eyes of interbeing and see how it might be different to walk the middle way. And, and, and perhaps we will find together as sanghas, as communities, as maybe even as nations one day, right, a way to move into the world that, that, uh, that carries our spiritual aspirations right, into physical manifestation. So we are this world. These teachings are basically saying, we are this world that, that we're living in. The world that we're living in isn't outside there somewhere else. right? It's not on the other end of the television or the internet somewhere. These teachings are basically saying, we, we already are this world. Wasn't there a song about that some time ago? You old rockers. We are the There's the Eightfold Path again. Mindfulness, concentration, developing our understanding, 
That understanding is the basis for our thinking, communication, action, livelihood. And I just want to expand that. I use this word lifestyle. Please help me find another one if it's a better one. But I think you know what I mean by that larger picture of how we are interacting with the whole of the world. Right? This is that outpouring of ourselves into the world. And it is either a leak which drains our capacity to continue or it grows that capacity and gives us more energy. Through the effort and diligence we use to cultivate our awareness, to maintain it long enough that we see clearly, that we understand clearly, and so on. Here's the Eightfold Path. You can think of this as a kind of a an inner cultivation which manifests outwardly in the world and an outer manifestation which nourishes your inner life. Right? All of them are intertwined with each other, of course. This is a wheel of the Dharma. Right? Mm. We are the world that we are living in. Tai says, our environment is not outside of us. And you may have read that. Our environment is not outside of us. And it's a play with words that helps wake us up to, to what the cloud woke up to in that story, right? I have a role to play. I am important as I am. I, every moment of my life is a precious opportunity. Mm. Mm. So one last thing before um, I hand the microphone to Fern is... Uh, to that point of where when you realize that you your your actions have an impact on the world you might look back and and say oh my have i really done that right in little ways i i'm saying this every day when i look at the shocked expression on my child's face as i say something that somehow had some misunderstanding or unkindness in it that i wasn't paying attention to have I really done that? And in larger ways, that's the small ways, remember, of our life, and looking at our large picture of our life, has my lifestyle really been intertwined with wars and violence and incredible oppression of peoples and the environment around the world? I mean, those are questions that we should be asking as practitioners, and we should be practicing to hold those kinds of awarenesses and the suffering that comes with it. But I want to just to offer one little bit of uh, softening to the weight or lessening to the weight of that burden, that sense of responsibility. And perhaps we have already turned it into shame and guilt and we're beating ourselves and our way of life up for being so bad. Right? But that's not the point of this practice. The point of this practice is to come, come onto the path come onto the path which generates each step of the way another dimension of beauty and goodness, right? So when I was uh, uh, um, on a field trip with a community, staying in a hotel um, as a monk, and, uh, and uh, it was time to leave the hotel and go back to Plum Village. And I was out at that time, that morning, when it was time to load the buses, I was walking so I was out on my own, enjoying the morning in the, in the mountains. And when I came back, everyone was in a, in a little bit of a flurry to get things to the bus. And I went to the elevator. I was staying on the fifth floor. 
I went to the elevator to go up the elevator, pressed the button, and nothing happened. And I waited, I pressed it again, and nothing's happened. I'm like, oh, right, all the brothers and sisters on all the floors of the hotel are all getting their things and coming down. This is going to take forever. So I hop on the stairs. <laughs> I'm going up the stairs, step, 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 two at a time, three at a time. I'm really enjoying my morning run up the stairs, and I come around, you know, the hotel stairs go around in a corner like that. Going round and round, and I'm getting close, and then suddenly I come around the corner, and there's Ty coming down with two of his attendants. And I stop. Oh, my teacher. <laughs> and he's walking step, 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 step. And I'm sort of out of breath, and I pause, move to the side, and I'm joining my palms. And as he walks and gets on the same step with me, he looks up and he says, One step at a time. And he keeps going. <laughs> I thought, okay, one step at a time. And that impressed upon me because it was such a contrast, right, for me. It really impressed upon me. And I've, I kept reflecting on it then, and I continue now to reflect on it. And especially when I think about someone like Tai. And pretty much any time he wasn't practicing jogging to get a little exercise or... <laughs> Uh, late for a plane and therefore needed to move quickly in a, to make a connection, he walked like that. He walked beautifully, peace in every step. He really brought himself in. And this man wrote so many books and offered so many Dharma talks and was a guide and a healer for countless thousands of people around the planet, and he moved like that. One step at a time. And so through that contemplation, I've come to feel that that's very helpful for me when I think about holding the burden, the great burden of suffering that's in the world, and the awareness that each moment, everything I do, every little thing I do, has huge significance. And for all the times I screw up, <laughs> and I know I messed up, and I know I wasn't mindful, and I wasn't careful, or I wasn't considerate enough, and I stepped in something I really shouldn't have stepped in, and right, all those times that happen, and I start to feel bad, I come back to that practice of one step at a time. Actually, our life is only asking us to make one step at a time, only asking us to take one breath. Can you make two? No. Right? It's not says just breathe once, right? Breathe this breath. Right? Can you speak two sentences at once? No. You speak one sentence. And you speak it really well, right? And then it has a, it, it, you speak it really well, it's that path, right? It comes from the best place in you, and it moves out into the world, and it carries you and others forward, right? You take one step, and you take it with solidity and freedom, and that carries out into the world. And that's all that life is asking of us. It's not asking us to figure it all out and fix it today, right? I think the store consciousness, alaya, the world, life, God, it has a different plan, right? It's a different, different sort of movement, a different sort of rhythm, and a power, right? deep, deep, deep power. Mm. So I hope that image can help. It helps me a lot not to feel overwhelmed and, and not to be hard on myself for making mistakes, but instead to come back and be like, right, well, in this moment, I can, I can begin anew. I can take another try at it, you know? 
And, and I, will, I will now bring that next bit of goodness out with this next breath, with this, this next sentence, or perhaps by not speaking this next sentence, right? And instead, tuning in more, learning and listening more. Thank you, friends. Good morning, dear Sangha. I want to share this morning a little bit about um, how I practice in my daily life at home. And I want to start with communication. Mm. And our relationships with others. If we're uh, looking at the model of the Eightfold Path, you can see how that relationship, our, our speech, also, just like our lifestyle, is based on our understanding. And uh, it's very easy when you see a person just to see <laughs> a simple uh, version of who they are. But if you want to really love a person deeply, you have to look more deeply and uh, take time to cultivate your understanding of who they are and to have space for the vastness that they are. Like we were looking at the other day, the person isn't just the person, the person is their great-grandmother and this history that took place someplace and there's so much that is creating them. And then you don't get stuck just on this action or this word. You have to look a little deeper to see there's something, there's always something behind that action, behind that word. Mm. 
So especially with the people I'm close to, I like to take time to uh, to cultivate my understanding and to keep my um, my picture of them fresh. I think uh, as people we tend to uh, see all the good things in the beginning. And slowly we start to notice all the things that we don't like and that bother us. And we obsess about those things. And when we're in relationship with someone, we're constantly reflecting something back to them in a very subtle way. Yeah. If If we're looking at them and we don't trust them, they feel that and it touches a a seed in them of not being trustworthy, that there's something not quite uh, right there. Yeah. If we look at them and we always notice what they're doing wrong, that's the, that's the reflection they're getting from us. Mm. Now, I think it, it just it seems quite natural <laughs> in us to go there. And that's why a relationship, it takes some effort if you want to keep it really healthy. Yeah. It's just like it's just like a garden. You have to water it. Or it's just going to wither. Your love is just going to wither if you don't take time to keep it fresh. Mm. And so for myself, I I start that in my in my meditation and in my thinking. So Usually every uh, couple weeks, I like to take one of my meditation times to call up the people that I'm close to in my life and just notice what I love about them. Yeah. And that way when I look at them, I will see that. You know, if, I, if I've meditated on my daughter and you know, remembered how, um, how joyful she is, how enthusiastic she is about something when I see her, that, that uh, excitement for who she is, how amazing she is, is going to be reflected in my eyes, in the things I suggest that we might do together, in, uh, in the way I answer a question. Mm. So we often think of flower watering as uh, in relationship to the practice of beginning anew, which is where we appreciate each other, which is very important. But I find just as important, or even more, is that I take time to appreciate them in my own mind. Because that affects everything. It's the basis for everything. So I have a story uh, from last spring where uh, a relationship became difficult for me. Mm, It's with my mother, uh, who is a wonderful (laughs) person. And um, she's been part of Morning Sun since the beginning. In her whole life, she's been interested in spiritual practice and community. So when we wanted to do this, she became part of the initiative and helped build it with us. 
And last spring, we, uh, we started a program, a two-month program, where people could come and live and be of service at Morning Sun. It was a very rich program. We had meditation and mini Dharma talks in the morning and yoga, and then we had working all day and meals. And, uh, and on top of this, you know, we have our regular life, getting the kids to school and all the other things that we need to do. So it was very, very full. Um, and I felt like every time I went to my mom and asked her to help, she wasn't available. <laughs> and uh, I noticed uh, agitation, and it was it was even turning to the in the direction of anger, was growing there, of this feeling like she's part of this initiative as well. Why is she? Uh, not helping, why is she leaving all of this, you know, so many details for me to carry um, on my own. Mm. So this was kind of bubbling under the surface for a while. And then when I, I really recognized it, uh, that it was a, a, becoming a substantial formation <laughs> in me. Uh, I took it to my meditation, which is what I like to do. Um, and I looked inside, and first I looked at myself and found, you know, a little girl in there who felt abandoned, you know, who felt... Uh, sad and, um, you know, where's that support that's always been right there, you know? So I, I took some time to take care of her. And then I looked into my mom. And uh, my, my, her mom actually had moved right down the road recently, and I, the first thing I noticed was that uh, she's, she hasn't been supporting Morning Sun because she's been supporting my mother, my grandmother, her mother, every day, yeah, and so that was the first, uh, the first thing I saw, and then I could see that she was tired out from that because she needed to go over there in the evening and early in the morning and spend endless hours at the doctor's office in town, which she really doesn't like. She's a gardener. <laughs> so I could see how she was, you know, she had a burden of her own she was carrying, and she was uh, making a lot of sacrifice to the things that, that nourish her. Mm. And so I could feel, I could feel that, that weight uh, and then I remembered also that I had um, I had heard her sharing that she was wanting to to heal and deepen her relationship with her mom. She turned ninety, and she knows she's not going to be around so much more. And um, so I realized that is also going on. She's wanting to put energy and time into that, that that's really important to her right now. 
And as I saw these things, my, my heart just, it filled up with love for her and gratitude and all of that resentment and, and uh, feeling neglected and anger uh, and this idea that she didn't care about the project anymore. You know, I had all these wrong ideas that, of what was motivating her. They just dissolved and I was able to see the reality of what was happening there. Mm. And so I was able to then go to her and give her a big hug <laughs> and, and express how, how grateful I am to her, the care she's giving her mom and, uh, and how hard that must be sometimes and um, how much I love her. And I felt then we were on the same, uh, we were supporting each other, you know, we were unified in, in our hearts and what we were doing instead of feeling that they were uh, battling, I was battling for time and energy, instead we were working together. Mm. So that's the understanding that gives rise to the love and the space and the respect for the people in our lives. You've probably heard Michael talk about our practice of beginning anew. We try to do beginning anew once a week, which is how we learn to do it in the monastery. Um, I, don't, I don't know if they do it once a week anymore. Yeah. Or every two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> oh. But it's very helpful for us. And uh, to take the time to keep our relationship fresh. You know, and we have the part of appreciating each other which, uh, which the heart really needs. You know, it needs that, uh, not only to hear from our loved one what, that they still love us and, and appreciate us, uh, but also to take the time to find our appreciation for them and to keep that, that alive. Mm. Beginning anew is also a time where we can share um, if something was difficult for us. So those things don't just kind of build up inside like stones. They create a lot of heaviness, deep, wrong perceptions. Like if I hadn't taken that time to meditate on my mom and clear that, you know, the distance between us would have kept growing and the weight in my heart would have kept growing. So for Michael and I, we have a chance to, to talk about something if it comes up. If we're unskillful in the week, I can say, I'm really sorry about the way I lost my temper, you know, on Tuesday morning when this happened, and I can let let him know what was going on, so he doesn't keep that uh, and carry that forward in the relationship. Let them go <laughs> before it gets too heavy, and uh, 
it's also a time where we can share with each other what's happening inside, you know? Because mm. in day-to-day -day life, you don't always have a chance to do that. So if I'm having a hard time or I'm really working with something, I have a, 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 a kind of a sacred space where I can let him know that. And then he knows, oh, that's what's happening. That's what's going on with her. Mm. Or if I'm having a lot of uh, excitement and joy about something, I can also let him know. Mm. I'm editing and editing. <laughs> so uh, the other part of our beginning a new time, we we spend part on looking, you know, keeping our relationship and communication open and fresh. And we also realized at a certain point that we needed to uh, look at our family life because um, we noticed that our ancestors were parenting our children too much <laughs> you know these these habit ways of of living and of interacting were just uh dominating the the scene and it, it wasn't the the quality of family life we wanted so we decided also we want to take time every week to touch in about this and uh to be be active in how we create our life our family life mm. So there's lots of different things we, we will do. Sometimes we would, uh, for example, if we were having, uh, we're struggling with uh, discipline or um, boundaries, we might look for resources that seemed that uh, we felt in harmony with and we may actually take some time to read a page and then talk about it and see how this could apply, you know, to our life. And, uh, or we will look over our life and say, how, how are things going? And on a different day, we might look at a different part of our life. Like, how are, how's it going getting ready for school in the morning? Or how's our, uh, our diet, you know, our nourishing our bodies and our family going? Um. Mm. For example, at a certain point we noticed that, uh, especially being in community, you know, the, the communication and the work, it didn't end with the work day. It just kept going on and on. And, and we could feel that it was uh, changing the quality of, of how we wanted to experience our evenings as a family. Because it, those, the work just pulls you out. And so you're not really present there. And the children really didn't like that. <laughs> And we didn't like it either. So, you know, we can look at an issue like that and say, well, what can we do differently? And so we decided to try not to, you know, look at, go on the internet and work in the evening and try to really end that at a certain time so that we could be more deeply present and uh, have a, a quality of life in the evening as we eat our meal, as we get ready for bed, that we really settle into that together. Mm.
And then we like to um, to look at each child and to do flower watering. So we're we're appreciating them together, holding that, keeping that that uh, appreciation for them alive, and then uh, looking into their happiness. And sometimes we'll touch them all briefly, or sometimes we'll just spend a whole session on one child and and say, how how is this child doing? And really, uh, really look. And then if we see they're struggling, then we can um, explore what we might do differently. Mm. Or if we see there's something they need. Like when Lorian was uh, become almost a, a teenager, you know, we could see going forward that it's easy for a teenager to kind of drift into their own space. And we, we knew we wanted to keep a really uh, strong relationship with him. So one of the things we decided to do was Michael would coach the basketball team. Because <laughs> that would create a lot of time each week when they would drive to practice together, when they would drive home, and he would be part of uh, the life of his friends and something that's important to him. So those are the kinds of thing, decisions we could make carefully by, by reflecting and choosing to create mm, the quality in our life. So when I first left the monastery, it was quite hard for me because I loved that life. It's like a, kind of like being on retreat like this all the time. <laughs> Not quite as intense. Uh, but you settle into the practices and it, it, it gives rise to so much happiness. You know, just walking across, you know, the campus to work in the office where I worked it would bring me such deep happiness because I was doing walking meditation and I was feeling my, my deep connection to life. And then, uh, you know, in my daily life, no one else did that. <laughs> and everything just went at such a, a faster pace. So in the monastery, there were so many moments of, uh, of freedom, of deep connection, of meaning. And then without that structure, that just wasn't there, that, that, that nourishment isn't there in our daily life, in society. Uh, everything is rushing in another direction and rushing after materialistic things, you know. Mm. So then I had to get uh, very creative. Like, how do I create the monastery in my daily life, in little moments? So 
that's been super fun. I have a, a, a huge amount <laughs> of little practices I've created. I'll share just a couple of them now to just to inspire um, this possibility and then to invite you to find your own places where you can bring this kind of nourishment and spaciousness into your own lives at home. <clears throat> so one of them is uh, before I pick up the children. So often I've been busy working and my mind is uh, holding many things and I notice when I pick the children up <laughs> Good job. <laughs> yeah. Can you hear me? It says it's on. Yeah. Exactly. It's just like that. <laughs> They've held it together all day, like with all these intense interactions with their peers, and they get in the car. <laughs> yeah. Now they can be really tired. Yeah. And so I started to uh, practice uh, at a certain place in town on my way. I start practicing, and then there's usually a, a line for the cars before they pick up, and I use that time to let go of my day and to create space inside, because I know I'm going to need that space, and then when they come in the car, I can offer that. If I, if I stay busy right till the end, my mind is thinking about this meeting that's going to happen later that day, and they come in, it's like this intrusion, <laughs> you know, and I, and I can... Uh, I can be very impatient with them instead of giving them what they need, which is, you know, they need my love at that point. They need to be sort of wrapped up and, and cared for. Mm. There's another practice uh, that I started actually when my youngest child was in kindergarten because it happened so naturally. First of all, it, it was a Waldorf kindergarten, which is completely magical and beautiful. And there was this windy path that went up to the school. And uh, as I was walking in with him, I naturally started doing walking meditation. And so then I chose that as one of my walking meditation paths. I have a number of them throughout the day that are short. but. I just start doing walking meditation as I'm walking into the school. And it's a wonderful experience because school is a kind of community. And if I'm stopping uh, my agitated mind and being present, each person I see is a beautiful encounter. I can really see them. Yeah. And so I'm building community just, just in the way we say hello to each other. And... Uh, Feeling that nourishment of connection. And in the beginning, people didn't know we practiced, but I, <laughs> I started having parents come up and just start crying about what's going on in their life, you know, because they could feel I was there and they, they, needed, they needed that, that presence. I notice that when I'm doing uh, organizational work, it can I can feel carried away, 
and sometimes a, even an attachment to the, the work and the outcome. So I started doing a, a five-minute sitting meditation before I start working because that helps me a lot if I orient myself in the right way. And I know with that meditation I'm becoming present and I'm also setting the intention that I do this work with freedom, yeah, without a grasping to the outcome. Yeah, and that helps me a lot to then remember that from time to time as I'm working. I like to do the uh, flower watering of other people before I go to a meeting in my mind. So when I'm walking to a meeting, I start to think about who's going to be in the meeting and I start to appreciate them. Because a, a meeting, it can be kind of a scary place uh, where you really want your idea, <laughs> you know, to be the one that everyone agrees about or you're afraid of what someone might say. Or you can, uh, suddenly you're in conflict with someone you don't want to be in conflict with. Um, these are all possibilities. But I find if, I, if I've... Uh, appreciated them inwardly, my heart is much more open. And then it, the, uh, the communication is much less of a, there's much less fear and kind of struggling and more like wanting to hear each other's ideas and be open. And even if just I bring that energy, it affects, I can affect the atmosphere somewhat. Um, Our community um, often has sitting meditation right when the children are going to bed. And there was a, a time recently where I was feeling like I really wanted to be sitting with the community, um, to be supporting that uh, group energy and to have that practice for myself. So I started... sitting in bed with the children. <laughs> and I let the community know, you know, I'm going to be sitting with you, but I will be at home with the children. And, um, and I let the children know, I'm going to do some sitting for a few minutes before we go to bed, and I'm going to invite the bell, and if you want to join me, you can. And uh, sometimes they join me, and it's, it's so beautiful to, to have that quiet moment. We light a candle. And uh, my littlest, she loves to, she always comes and sits. <laughs> she likes to do the bell. The, uh, the, our, my middle child, she'll come but, uh, often, but she'll usually lay down. She just likes to be in the atmosphere of it. Yeah. Yeah, our oldest one is now in a different part of the house doing homework. <laughs> Until I'm asleep. <laughs> yeah. Mm. And I sometimes I'll do a guided meditation. And then at a certain point, my, my youngest daughter, she, said, she started saying, Mommy, can I do it tonight? <laughs> and she does. She'll sometimes lead these beautiful guided meditations. It's like, 
we're walking through the forest and the leaves are falling. <laughs> so sweet. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be long, but for me, it makes a real difference to take that moment at the end of the day to quiet and to, uh, to really feel the beauty of the presence of my, my family. So I'd like to end with a, a short uh, reflection. I find this very helpful for myself. Uh, and if we'd like to uh, take some notes at the end, we'll have a few minutes for writing. And if you don't have a, a pen or paper, you can, they could just come. You want to pass it? Michael will pass it. There's pads of paper, so you can take a whole pad or just a few pieces if you'd like. So beginning anew is a, an idea that... Um, based on impermanence, really. Everything is changing all the time and organic, and we can, we can start new. We don't have to stick and get stuck in any particular uh, situation or way of thinking or relationship. We can make it new. And it's the same with our lives. I think our lives are such a, an incredible gift. And I like to pause and, and look at my life periodically. I do a really deep one in the beginning of the year, and then uh, I do it, you know, every month or two. I like to look back and, and look at the quality of my life, yeah, because we are the artists of our lives. We are the creators, and the more we see that, the more we can be active in uh, So when I do this meditation, I look back, I just kind of scan over my life and I see where am I still suffering? Where am I still stressed? Where am I wasting my time? <laughs> and where am I doing things that have real meaning to my deepest uh, aspiration and love? And where am I being nourished? Where am I uh, finding a way to bring the practice into my life? So I kind of look at that, and then I, I see if I want to adjust something. So we'll uh, do this as a meditation first. So if you can uh, get into a comfortable seated position. Bringing your awareness back inside, aware of your body,
allowing your awareness to fill your body. Aware of your breathing. Aware of your thinking and practicing to let go and return into a quiet, still place in yourself. And now looking over your daily life. Seeing how you spend your time. And just noticing where you're still struggling. Where you still feel stressed or suffering. We don't need to have any judgment. We're just looking in order to become more aware. To learn. And now, noticing where you feel really nourished, where you find happiness. where you're nourished by the practice. Are there places where you are able to express your deep love for the world, your care, that have meaning to you. Mm. And now, is there something you would like to bring back home with you from this retreat? Maybe it's a, a little change in your schedule, creating time for something.
Is there a time when you can bring the practice into your daily life? Or perhaps an insight that you would like to remember. You could write as a little gata and hang up or draw a picture to remind yourself. To bring it into your daily life. Now we'll listen to a sound of the bell and have just a couple minutes to write down to write down this uh, aspiration we have.
can take a moment to finish up for now. Maybe we can end with three sounds of the bell. 